Hello and welcome to this week's Key Voices, conversations with folk in and around education. I'm Caroline Doherty and this week I'm talking to Stephen Paula Kenning uh, from Aspirations Academy Trust and Ian Livingston CBE who is veteran of the games industry about a project that they're working on together to set up a new academy in Bournemouth. Livingston Academy will open in September and we talk a little bit about the philosophies and ideas that sit behind this innovative new organisation and hear a little bit about how things are going to work in practice really interesting to talk to um, Steve, Paula and Ian about their the research, observations and insights that they have done, thinking about employers and schools and how they can work more closely together and wondering a little bit at the end why more schools and employers don't collaborate in this way. But lots of interesting ideas about the role of digital um, in education, cross-curricular, interdisciplinary um, working and cross-curricular planning. So hope you enjoy all of that. And as ever, I'd just like to remind listeners that this podcast is an opportunity to open up debate and discussion around topics. The views my guests and I are about to express are not the view of the key. For in-depth authoritative articles on the latest issues in education, check out thekeysupport.com. Hello. Today I am joined by Steve and Paula Kenning, who are co-founders of the Aspiration Academy Trust, and Ian Livingston, CBE, who is working with Steve and Paula, and they are all together co-founders of Livingston Academy. Hello and welcome to all of you. Hello. 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 Thank you. Hi there. So um, before we get into the conversation, maybe we could kick off with you all all explaining a little bit about yourselves and your background. So Steve, why don't we kick off with you? Okay, I'm Steve Kenning. Uh, I had 14 years experience of running outstanding secondary schools. uh, And then Paul and myself, 10 years ago, decided to set up the Aspirations Academies Trust and we had to find a couple of schools which need support. So we took them on. And so 10 years ago, took a couple of schools on. We now have, well, in this set, next September, we'll have 16 schools, both primaries and secondaries. Really believe in all through education. Uh, we're very good at turning around failing schools. Most of our schools are in areas of quite significant deprivation. But we're also uh, trying to change uh, uh, the way education works a little bit. And we're quite innovative. We've, we've started two studio schools, um, opened about three other brand new primary schools. Uh, we've written the bid within for, for the Livingston Academy, um, but we've worked a lot with employers in recent years. About five years ago, we, we ran a, an aspirations employability um, program for our sixth formers, and we met loads of employers, probably our 50 or so, who worked on real projects with our sixth formers. And the, every employer virtually said, the young people are leaving school without the right kind of skills for society that they wanted. Qualifications are fine, but it's all about knowledge and memory. So they wanted people with qualifications. So we set on a mission to try and change this. And the Livingston Academy should have opened in 2017, uh, 2017. And um, since then, because the idea we have for the Livingston was to try and develop 
uh, more uh, problem-solving work in the curriculum. So getting students to apply their knowledge to actually solve problems. And we've, we've done something in Key Stage 2 and Key Stage 3 called the No Limits Curriculum, where it's transdiscipline learning. And this is quite exciting, as most of the rest of the world seem to be doing this at the same time, apart from England. Um, so this is working well. We've been doing this for three or four years now. And this is the kind of curriculum we'll have with the, with the Livingston Academy. So it's an exciting time, I think. We, we've learned from the... Um, for the, the last two years with COVID, that we need problem solvers, we need to look at the real world and change the way we approach things. So um, we're hoping that the exams at GCC particularly are gonna go in the future and there's a different way of approaching work. Great stuff. And um, Paula, uh, obviously um, you've been doing a lot of that work alongside Steve. Is there anything that, that you'd like to add there? Just um, as, as Steve said, my, my background's also um, a secondary head teacher, run two, um, two schools, and actually founded the Aspirations Academy's Trust with Steve um, based on the premise that actually our scope would be um, much improved if we're able to form a multi academy trust. Because as, as Steve emphasised, our, our belief is that all through education from age two, we do have some two year olds in some of our schools, all the way through to 18. Or 19 just makes so much sense where that that transition across a child's education is made so much smoother and some of the trauma is removed and I think the the only other thing I'd want to add is that aspirations um academies trust is, is truly about raising young people's aspirations and the aspirations of everybody in, in our school communities adults and young people and we have a very clear approach to raising aspirations um we have some structures and some systems and some training that's built around that. But in essence, it's really about encouraging all young people to have big dreams. And actually having big dreams can be quite daunting um, while being inspired in the present, both at school and, and beyond school, to work hard to reach those dreams. So uh, the aspirations um, philosophy, if you like, is about dreaming and doing, being inspired in, in your present day life to reach those big dreams. Great stuff. And Ian, your your background isn't really um, education. So can you tell us a little bit more about about your career and how you got involved with the Livingston Academy? Well, I'm a 45 year veteran of the games industry, first in the analog world when I co-founded Games Workshop and launched Dungeons and Dragons and Warhammer in, in the UK, then moved into writing uh, interactive books in the 1980s, books in which you, the reader, are the hero. Uh, by giving children choice, that was a lot more empowering through an interactive experience rather than a passive experience, as happens when you're reading a, a, a normal book. And when I moved into the video games industry, that became more apparent about that agency that children in particular are given by taking control to determine the outcome. Of, of their heroes or heroines in, in, in the games. And um, it seemed to me that there was an opportunity here to contextualize uh, learning through play that really hadn't been um, used much before. And also to increase the awareness of not just digital consumption, but digital creativity to turn children from being consumers of, of tech to creative technology. So in short, um, you know, if you think cognitively what happens when you're playing a game, um, it requires you to problem solve, uh, you learn intuitively, you're not punished for making a mistake. In fact, you're encouraged to try again until ultimately over time, anybody can become a winner. 
it's not like a binary decision as in, a, in an examination, you get it right, therefore you're, you're judged as being able. If you get it wrong, you're judged as not being able, which I think is too severe an outcome for uh, what is often a moment in time which you may not have known the right answer. So, and you think about the power of creativity in the games like Minecraft where children can learn contextually applying the heat of a furnace to, to silica sand to create glass, um, taking that glass, putting it in their environment. Um, they won't forget that because it's effectively learning by doing, albeit virtual digital learning, it's still application of knowledge into, into a real world environment. And games like Rollercoast Tycoon are effectively a management simulation. Understand the physics of building the rides, uh, understanding the management of staffing the theme park, the economy of pricing the rides. And if you do it right, the virtual customer will come. If you don't, you tweet the parameters. But ultimately, this is a kind of multi-curricular, uh, multidisciplinary, cross-curricular learning experience, which equips them with real skills for life. So long story short, um, yeah, I, I saw the power of play, which is, which has not been optimized to a high enough degree because when people think about play, they see it as trivial. They don't see the, the power of play in a positive sense. So, uh, and on the, on the digital uh, components of that, you know, I was tasked by Advaiti, the former culture minister in 2011 to write a review about ICT uh, and why aren't there simply enough software engineers for our, for our industry, uh, the games industry, but not only that, every uh, digital industry in, in the UK and beyond. And it really came down to how ICT was taught at school, is learning Word, PowerPoint and Excel, boring them kids to death really with, with um, using other people's software rather than empowering them to use their own or create their own software. So what was taught in school was really teaching kids how to read, but not how to write. They could play a game, they couldn't make a game. They could use a website, they couldn't make a website. So how do we move them from the passenger seat to the driver's seat of technology? So in a nutshell, you know, that was my mission to understand and try and make, provide education which fits for the 21st century. Wow, fantastic stuff, lots. Lots to think about there. And Stephen, Paula, you, you, you kind of covered some of it in your introduction there, but it'd be good to understand um, exactly how the Aspiration Trust has grown and developed since you started in, in 2011 and, and really what makes it different um, to some of the other trusts out there. We, start, we started, um, I say, a long time ago now with a guy called Dr. Rusqualia. Uh, he's an American who uh, is probably the leading researcher in student aspirations. And he has three guiding principles, self-worth, engagement, and purpose, and then eight conditions that make a difference to raising student aspirations. And it's quite scientific. It's not woolly stuff. And Russ has worked a lot in England beforehand. I met him through a sports college conference years back, and I've always used his, his ideas. It's also given me a, like a belief in education and a, and a grounding. So that was the, the focus of our trust. And we, we've do a lot of training with staff and students, and in the past with parents, in terms of raising 
aspirations because it's not just about the aspirations it's the skills you develop because it's things like the confidence to, to present you know it's the idea of, of, of social skills working with people the computational thinking bit is about sort of speaking out and critical thinking but Ian was just talking a second ago. Um, the two of the guiding principles, two of the, the eight conditions, one's fun and excitement, and the other one is curiosity and creativity. And they're very central to what we do because we spend a lot of time trying to get challenge and engagement into the learning process. I've watched thousands of lessons, certainly when we take over failing schools, and the kids are bored. You know, the past is dis disengaged. Often behavior is quite good, but they're bored, and they, they forget everything they've learned. So we spend a lot of years with uh, teachers all over our trust trying to develop a more interesting way of learning and one thing we've tried to do is take the, the good primary school models because in, in primary schools they tend to teach literacy numeracy then they had a creative curriculum and they had one or two teachers they go to year seven in a secondary school and all of a sudden it breaks down into these single disciplines of about 15 different teachers and they all fall backwards and it's happened throughout my career so as a trust as paula said we wanted to try and make sure there's a continuity between the key stages all the way through at every level and so we have introduced Take Ian's terms about cross-discipline, cross, uh, but we called it applied transdisciplinary learning. And it is big. We've we picked it up from the, from the States, really. And we get teachers planning in teams of three or four who are different subject specialists, but they apply their own subject knowledge to certain problems. And it's phenomenally exciting and so our teachers are now planning this because we've done this across our 15 schools for three years now key stage two and key stage three and we the planning sessions with the teachers have been some of the most exciting cpd we've ever done and now it's been related into the learning because teachers have to teach in a different way we had one example last week with some year eight students where they're doing one on music where they have a driving question uh, which is a problem they're looking at basically but they're looking at music and <laughs> they were showing an old record player and these year eight students had never seen one before and so then they got into that they thought well, this is amazing and then they got into the idea of how does that work so they start looking at the science behind how that works and so you build in different life you don't take the knowledge of your maths or your geography or your biology and go into the workplace you use all kinds of disciplines you pull it together and so school doesn't reflect the real world so what we are trying to do is to get to that stage where they're working together students are they're critically thinking they're, they're looking at problems and they're using their knowledge to solve it but it's not just always in a science lesson always in a geography lesson so what we do in our schools now and the livingston academy will be central to this they will have some single discipline lessons because you need some knowledge in that form but you also have a lot of this transdiscipline learning as well to actually take that knowledge and put it into practice is there um in terms of your kind of vision for for the the, the trust um and how you how you articulate um to kind of uh, your schools that schools that may be joining um what what would what would you say there um we're moving forward we've been developing it's, it's a long process to develop a trust into we're now a 50 million pound organization with uh, uh probably nine or ten thousand students and uh, quite a number of staff and it's taken a long way and, and now we've just developed our next stage we've got a five-year plan but we've got our aspirations education hub as we call it and so what we're moving on in september we have a very Serve a diagnostic and monitoring unit where we go and support schools. We look at what, what the issues are and give more improvement plans. We're also setting up an improvement and development unit this year, which we've always done, but this is far more harder-edged um, teacher support, if you like. We run incubator programs at all levels of teachers, and we have a teacher development roadmap to try and chart their, their professional learning. And so they can either become leaders and managers, or they can become subject specialists or ATL specialists. 
On top of that, we're developing an innovation unit where we, we're doing an aspiration employability diploma with our post-16 students and things like uh, aspirations and student leadership. And then we also have our operations set up, which is the HR, the finance, the premises. So in terms of, of attracting other schools, we are we are attracting other schools and we're keen to grow. We want to, we think big on a bigger scale, we have more to offer in terms of, of the sort of uh, innovation we can create for, for young people. So we are keen to take on more schools. And this is attracting a number of people at the moment because they quite like not only the support they get, but they quite like the, the sort of uh, the philosophy we have. And um, Paula, your, your schools are quite spread out. Um, how, how did the kind of growth, growth happen there? So we're, we've developed into four regions um, so it, across the south, uh, the south of, of England. Um, yes, we've certainly been through our own growing pains. It's uh, it's a it's not it's not a straightforward uh, matter to to build a multi academy trust. That's for sure. But actually, we're at the point now where we have built the capacity. We have four regional CEOs, and we've built the capacity so that um, the four regions can actually operate almost as as mini trusts within trust with some really common shared um, values and a, obviously a, a common vision. And we're really about, uh, as Ian would say, making sure that all young people are world ready and work ready so that they're, they're not just being prepared to sit the exams. Exams are important qualifications are always going to be important, I would, I would argue, but they're not enough, actually. Young people need to perform at their best possible level in their qualifications, but they need so much more beyond that as well so that they can be world ready and work ready. So it's about really preparing young people to um, thrive in their lives beyond school, whether that takes them to university or apprenticeships, for the training or straight into the world of, of, of work. Talk about the girl at, uh, in Houston. One of, um, one of the, the lovely sort of case studies um, of, of later aspirations, a lovely story of a fantastic young woman who was um, um, actually a, a refugee that arrived in, at one of our schools. Um, from Nepal um, and throughout her journey at, uh, through an Aspirations Academy, she really did build her aspirations and actually ultimately just last year, in the middle of the pandemic might I add, um, flew out on her own to Rice University in Houston, which is a fantastic university in America, uh, to study engineering. She's an incredible success story and one of the, one of the opportunities that we were able to provide her was um, uh, we sent um, a, a small number from each of our sixth form um, uh, organisations across the trust. We send a small number of year 12 students to NASA each year, both in Texas and Florida. And they get the behind the scenes sort of their full exposure tour and they have dinner with uh, real working astronauts, for example. And in terms of the way that that can broaden horizons and lift aspirations and just open a young person's eyes to what lies beyond their their particular community back here in England. It's just fantastic, really. So and there are so many stories beside that. I, would, I would think that's probably one of the, the pinnacle examples, if you like, but just fundamentally changing your people's aspirations so that they fundamentally are able to live uh, quite a different kind of life than they might have expected when they were seven or 11. Yeah, and far be it from me to be cheesy, but really the sky the sky is the limit in that in that example. <laughs> um, Ian, I'm I'm curious to know a little bit more about your your own experience of education and what you personally want to achieve by setting up a school. Well, I went to a a state grammar school. Um, didn't do very well. Um, scraped through my O levels as they were at the time. Um, got five and the head teacher said 
uh, Livingstone, uh, I know you've managed to get into sixth form somehow, but don't you think you'd be better off working in a garage or something? <laughs> um, which I didn't think was particularly motivational, but being at school for the sixth form was, for me, preferable than going to get a job in the garage. So I stayed on. But I was clearly unmotivated and not enjoying the very formal approach to education, the abstract nature of it was then, and the rote learning. I had a pretty miserable time and came out with one A-level grady and didn't go to university. And I thought, this is ridiculous. And I think it's still in truth today is that children often love learning, hate school. They're very happy and curious to learn stuff that's interesting to them on YouTube, from their peers, um, from all sorts of resources. They tend to get bored in class because it still perpetuates a, a teaching format which was applicable over 100 years ago. So I think it's on us to make learning enjoyable. I'm not saying for one second that children should be playing games all day, but they should take principles of games-based learning and apply them in a modern sense and use a lot more projects and problem solving. I mean, the World Economic Forum said the three most important things to have for a child in the 21st century is creativity, critical thinking, and problem solving. And whilst that might be seen as abstract and intangible as far as trying to find metrics to judge one person against another by the standards of, of the DFE, I think we owe it to children to get them inspired to reach their own potential. And that means them having a good arts education because they have to have good EQ as well as IQ. They have to understand the power of, of, of the computers in their lives, that they're able to determine their own destiny. It means in a world that's being transformed by technology, the speed of which is accelerating all the time, they need to operate in a world that is completely different from when I was a child. So for me, the Livingstone Academy Bournemouth will aim to ensure that children's learning will be authentic, contextual, and relevant. This means equipping them with skills, as well as qualifications, as know-how, as well as knowledge, and IQ and EQ. And building their resilience, resilience make them believers in themselves, a can-do mentality, uh, no matter what profession that they may enter. I'm not asking either for more everyone to join the games industry. With these kind of skills, they could fight cybercrime, design a jet propulsion engine, do anything they like if they have the right skills. So, you know, getting back to the work-ready world-ready, it's important because, you know, robots and artificial intelligence are going to take away all the jobs that involve any repetition. So this critical thinking and creativity is a thing that differentiates us from, from the machines. And so it's in no point in to continue teaching children like robots because they won't be able to compete with the real thing. So if we can get children to the point with this problem solving and creativity and, and give this sort of diverse thinking in these children and entrepreneurial spirit, there's no reason why they cannot no matter how disadvantaged they are, because of they can access global markets through the internet, that they could become job makers, not just job seekers. Mm. Yeah, I suppose that's a really interesting point that you make there about the kind of interconnectivity on, on the internet and actually that that's um, a relatively egalitarian 
space and a lot of what we know about kind of social mobility and progression in established professions you know it's a lot about networking and knowing the right people and and all of these these kinds of things and actually as you say if you're going to be a kind of tech entrepreneur um you know you've got as much chance as as anybody else i would think in some ways you can access global audiences um you're bypassing the traditional gatekeepers of the analog world which required huge amounts of capital to navigate the supply chain with physical goods you have a digital content and you can reach consumers directly so you can provide goods and services in digital form and and have a whole global market to to access and that should be a great empowering ambition for any child and the capital required to do that is not much more than a computer and an ability and desire to do that and as soon as children realize that they can actually be masters of their own destiny and generate revenue from their own endeavors i think that will inspire them and therefore the you know being part of the livingstone foundation uh, Livingstone academy and through aspirations we're going to empower them and enable them to be something that they might never have thought about hitherto. Wow, exciting stuff. And I'm I'm keen to know more about what it will look like in in practice. So your your doors are opening um to students in in September. What will it what would it be like to be a student at Livingston Academy? It'll be very different. Uh, eventually, it'll have about just over 1,500 students. It's uh, all through age four through to uh, 18. Uh, this year, we're starting with one reception class and um, five classes in year seven. The building isn't quite finished um, altogether, so it'll be another year before the whole building's finished. It's quite exciting because um, the old law courts and magistrates' courts have been developed, and there's a, an old court building in there which has to has to be retained. So we've got that, and yet we've got a brand new building that's coming as well. So it's going to be a mixture of old and new, and it's quite a, a unique site in the centre of Bournemouth. But uh, the approach is very different. As I said earlier, we'll have single subject um, learning, plus we'll have probably about 10 hours a week of what we call applied transdiscipline learning on real problems. Um, Also, the week will not be like a normal week. Um, Every week is different. The teachers, the planning teams, will decide each week what they're going to teach and how long they're going to teach for. There won't be bells, there won't be regular you know 25 lessons in a week but they will cover the national curriculum they will do everything they're meant to do and they will get very good results but there will be a lot of innovation a lot of creativity um, as Ian said creativity is as important as anything else but also they'll be working together in teams so um, it'll be very interesting we've got um, we're trying we haven't got a principal we've got a, an executive director of learning who is, is been teaching in England for a long time but she's actually American so she's well versed in what the Americans call problem-based learning, which actually works really well out there. And uh, she's also a computer geek and really into games, and she she adores Ian. Um, so it sort of fits him very well. And uh, so she's actually, because we've got 150 students coming to year seven, she's written them like a, a gaming invitation letter, and they've got um, uh, some sessions coming up where they're, they're being inducted through playing games. And it's really quite exciting, really. So it's a very different approach. And we had, uh, for 150 places, we had 380 applications, which is most unusual for a brand new school. So yeah. the people of Bournemouth, they, they, they understand the concept of it. We did minimal um, advertising, really, mostly through social media. But certain pa- parents have, have picked up on the idea, I think because of the pandemic as well, they've realised that we need something different. And this is something different. Yeah, and I was going to say, um, why Bournemouth? 
Um, we, we, we had the bid accepted in 2015, I think it was, mm. and we, it was meant to be in East London, the original one, and we had a building and everything, it was in Tower Hamlets, and it was all set to go, and then the population, I think Brexit happened, and there's other issues, the population dropped down, so there wasn't a need for it. So um, at the same time, we also had one promise to Bournemouth, we didn't have a site, so we had two schools going. The East London one's now changed to West London, hopefully one will open in Mortlake, in Richmond Borough, fairly soon, next year or two. But the Bournemouth site, we were just looking for a site, and eventually it was there. But Bournemouth has got a quite a strong digital uh, industry going there. And also, we have really good links with Bournemouth University, where they do do um, gaming courses and that kind of thing. So it's a, it's a good setup. Bournemouth School, Silicon Beach, about me. So it's, uh, it's quite a useful place to be. Yeah, and um, yeah, I've got pretty good ties with Bournemouth University. And um, as, as Steve says, you know, Silicon Beach is a very digital focused area. So we can draw on on, on local businesses and not so local businesses who are going to set projects and work with the children to, again to contextualize their learning and, and give them the understanding that working teams is actually how the real world operates. It doesn't operate as individual silos competing against each other. It's all about teamwork. And collaboration so that's really important and you know getting back to the 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 the, the you know the, the the gaming component you know children use prolific amounts of social media everything they do is interactive from the way they conduct their lives the way they socialize the way we uh, we 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 shop online now everything is interactive it's empowering and guess what they want their they want their entertainment and their education to be likewise uh, interactive to Given, to be given that agency to control and and do in their own individual way, I think it's so key. They they should no longer be kind of passive receptors of of of, of facts that they will remember for a few days and forget further down the line. It's so important that they you know, they learn by doing to to retain their knowledge and have a good arts education. You know, creativity gives us an edge as a nation. Look at our film, fashion, music, games, publishing, architecture. It's the envy of the world. And we often, as the case, is that we're stripping creativity out of the classroom. The arts does not count in the EBAC. And, you know, if you're looking for role models, you know, Leonardo da Vinci, a polymath, you know, world's greatest painter, also a mathematician and engineer. You have to join up the left side and the right side of the brain if you want to be effectively a good uh, um, uh, team player to be able to inspire others to work as, as teams and you know through that when you're talking about social mobility and social inclusion I mean, all these things kind of build come together to to make a, a person who's enriched by the experience of education rather than saying they did well despite their schooling in answer to the question about why Bournemouth as well we do have three other schools in that Bournemouth and Paul area which uh, will work with Livingston Academy as well Great stuff, um, and um, fantastic that you've had um, such a lot of interest in in places. I know um, that you know it, that's been one of the the barriers to things like the studio schools and university technical colleges movement really flourishing in the way that it it might um, has been you know trying to attract attract um, students and 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 families. So it's it's good that you've that you've got a very receptive community down there. And you, you mentioned that you won't be having a principal per se. What will it be like to be a member of staff at Livingston uh, Academy? 
I think one of the important um, things to, to talk about in answer to that question is that we expect each of our members of staff to be modeling those skills that we've discussed so much um, today. So for example, teamwork, collaborating with each other rather than delivering their own subject in a single silo, so to speak. So one of the things that we really emphasized when we were recruiting staff, which was actually a real joy, we've got a fantastic team of, of brilliant staff, was that they, they couldn't just be a master of their own subject, which is the traditional teaching model in, in this country. It was really about approaching teaching and learning from a problem-solving um, approach, doing all of their planning together. So we've actually built in planning, collaborative planning time into the working week so that the idea is that the teachers aren't leaving the school at the end of their working day and going home with, with lots of additional work to do at home because actually that, that planning time has been built into the working week because it just has to be collaborative. It's very difficult to plan a transdiscipline lesson that has a problem-solving approach in isolation by definition, really. So, um, so that's going to be really key that they, they model those skills around creativity, that they're keeping their, their learning fresh and exciting um, and engaging, modeling the, the three guiding principles of the trust around building self-worth of young people, ensuring that all young people are engaged in what they're, what they're learning and that the young people can see a purpose to it because that's that's ever so important and also i mean our, our edel our executive director of learning uh, the curriculum is so important here we wanted uh, the person to focus purely on the curriculum really so we've got a good central team uh, in the area and uh, in, in london where we can cover premises and finance and those kind of things quite easily certainly in the early years when the school gets bigger we may well have a principal but in the early years we wanted to focus on the curriculum and so it frees her up to do that it's also very hard being a principal to have all these skills early on and so we're trying to make the post more attractive to future principals perhaps by having almost like a halfway house she still will act like a principal but there'll be other things that she, she won't have to do yeah, and I'm I'm interested. Obviously, we've just you know we're we're recording this in towards the end of June. Some schools are probably doing a bit more in the way of remote learning than they want to be doing right now, um, as we're dealing with rising numbers of cases. But I'm just interested to know to what extent will will pupils be using uh, digital means to com complete their learning kind of within within the school what's the vision for yeah, that yeah ma massive uh, we've got some very good sort of it facilities i mean digital learning is essential and so all students will have access to chromebooks as well as other devices a lot of the homework will be doing research to prepare for learning as opposed to just sort of doing things like worksheets and things um the students will use digital devices all the time we're planning with a sixth form um to, to maybe we're thinking about maybe not going towards a levels but we're trying to develop some level three courses in terms of uh, related to game playing in terms of digital diagnostics and so on so we're thinking of that at the moment so that'll open in a couple of years time um so it's, it's going to be a very different approach but they'll certainly have have uh, programming skills as well as they go through the school uh, computational thinking and computational learning would be very essential but not just in the in the computer sense it'll be about critical thinking and problem solving as well so it won't all be computers it won't all be game playing but uh, they will be using them um, in terms of their learning and in terms of what they produce and so you're you're opening in september and if we were to be having this conversation in a year's time, what would you want to be saying that you'd achieved in that in that first year of, of operation? I, personally, I think um, we'll be very, very excited. And we're quite excited already about some of the things. And we've tried 
much of the curriculum in our other schools and it's working really well you know you're seeing kids who are completely challenged and engaged in their learning which some which i haven't seen before so we hope in terms of the little ones reception we hope they have a good grounding because uh, it won't be that won't be much different there to what we do in our other schools in terms of developing their social skills and the, the ability to learn i mean they learn through playing and we tend to knock it out of kids as they get older we want to see that continue really but in year seven we hope that they have adapted to a different way of learning i mean hopefully they come from primary school where some of the approach to learning is similar but we hope they don't go backwards as year seven students like sometimes do. We hope they, they continue to move forward, um, but they quickly develop the confidence to, to go even further forward. We also hope it's a pretty vibrant place and, and we have lots of visitors who want to come and see what we're doing. Yeah, I think a lot of people listening to this will want to come and visit. And, and what about you, Ian? What would success in the first year look like for you? Success would, for me would be happy, curious, inspired, and empowered children who want to come to school with a big smile on their face and learn, and learn something which is going to be useful for them in later life, hopefully. Indeed. And I'm, I'm curious to know from, from all of you, really, why you think more partnerships like this haven't haven't happened to date and whether you think the pandemic will will make for a different kind of conversation about about teaching technology and and computing skills in in schools it's, it's interesting um, in terms of um, employers i think employers often want to work with schools but often don't know how to get in touch with schools we started doing this uh, i've said five years now this aspiration employability diploma where we do work with different companies on real world projects with the students and we're also setting up an industrial liaison group with hopefully a hundred different employers now the idea of that is to try and understand what they want us to do in schools for, for their workforce for the future i mean we've been doing this for a while and in the past some students have been offered apprenticeships because they've been so so impressive and that kind of thing but and we have changed our approach to learning because of what some of the employers we've been working with have, have told us and so I think that it's finding a way to get employers and uh, schools together. I mean, in got in touch with us because uh, Lord Nash, who was the schools minister at the time, knew of, of what we we're doing with our studio schools and knew what Ian was doing and put us together. And that helped, you know, but it's that, having that form where you can meet. I mean, not what Ian thinks, but I think it's quite difficult to, to find like-minded people. I think um, more of this should happen, you know, to apply real-world environments into into the school environment, I think, can only be a good thing. Um, it seems to me that traditionally, school has never been a set place where people should be taught um, being trained for, for jobs. That's usually been seen as the, the role of industry to train children for jobs. But yeah, I, I think it's absolutely perfectly acceptable to give children life skills, where it's understanding how to run their personal finances and trying to contextualize the world. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a tough old place out there. And the more you can help equip children with the right skills, not just for, for, for the work environment, but for their personal uh, lives as well, the better. And that's gonna make them better citizens and probably better at their jobs. So it seems crazy that we don't. I mean, you know, if, if you just stick to this, strict academic curricula which is only going to be applicable to a small percentage of the population you're going to still continue to alienate the bulk of the population 
So I think we need to embrace the reality of the situation and give children you know, the right qualifications and, and skills, the right know-how as well as knowledge to succeed. As I said, knowledge is often a commodity these days. It's the application of knowledge that's so important. And I think it's our job to apply knowledge. You know, I think visually, I don't think in the abstract. So anything that can have contextualized learning for me is important. And I think a lot of children think visually and they need that sort of application because that's how you are in, in the wild. It's learning by with your hands and, and contextualizing. So it's, it's trying to get a sense of that it's more than just, you know, l learning, you know, using your, your memory, learning by roads. I know it's, it's not like that at all. I never one second want to blame any teacher for this because they're stuck with a system that is often archaic, but it's, it's, it's so key for, for, for children to feel that they are in the driver's seat rather than the passenger seat of, of their lives. Yeah, and I, I mean, I've, I've worked on kind of all sides of this conversation, particularly um, in a charity with, with businesses wanting to support schools and these sort of age-old conversations about, about skills versus knowledge and, you know, to what extent work readiness is, is the, the role of the school, the company, etc. But I think, you know, one thing we can all agree on is people who are working with young people want to see a fire lit in and a passion for for something that they can take forward into their into their lives. And um, for some children that that will look more academic and for others, it, it might very well be, be be something much more practical. And it, it feels that you're offering you're offering choice through through what you're proposing. Yeah. And, and it's, it's not just about getting children ready to go and work in the games industry or some other digital industry. It's, it's getting to understand the, the world of the 21st century, which is technology driven and to be able to operate in that world. Um, I think, yeah. I, I think, you know, back that up here, uh, I went to the dentist the other day and I couldn't believe the computers and things are going into my mouth and everything else. And so I think even doctors and dentists have to be very sort of quite digitally aware these days. So it's not just about going to the games industry. It is about using computers in every walk of life, really, and, uh, and, and other things, other, other devices. Um, quite so, yes. We'd all be, we'd all be lost without them right now, um, certainly. Um, and is there anything else that any of you want to say in closing? I just think that it, it, it's so fundamentally important that schools and educational establishments work with um, people in the real world. I'm talking about employers, obviously, um, universities, and so on, because the the, the modern school the, the modern school system really hasn't been designed to match the needs of the, mo the modern workplace. The workplace has changed so fundamentally, certainly since I was a, a child at school. And the concept of, you know, preparing a young person for a job for life is just ridiculous um, in this day and age. So actually finding out, schools finding out, we found that schools finding out what employers really need from us alongside the knowledge and qualifications in terms of skills development, the ability to apply knowledge and so on, has been fundamentally important to developing the concept for the Livingston Academy in particular and, and Aspirations Academies more generally. Embarrassingly, one of the conversations that Steve and I had with a management consultancy a couple of years ago was that they described the boot camp that they run for graduates over the summer holidays, so a six-week boot camp that prepares them for the workplace over that six-week period because schools and universities haven't necessarily done that job over the 
13, 14, 15, 16 years that young people have been in education. And I just think that's not good enough, actually. We don't want to be wasting young people's time. We want to be making sure that alongside the acquisition of knowledge and the gaining of, of the best qualifications that they can, we're fundamentally preparing them to thrive in their, in their chosen field of work uh, and also in, in their personal lives beside that as well. Really, a really positive um, and thought-provoking note to end on there. And thank you all so much for talking to us today about, about this really unique and interesting partnership. And we, we wish you well with the, the launch and opening of the Academy. And we may well be back to, to talk about how it's all been going. And thank you very much for listening. Key Voices is produced by The Key, giving education leaders the knowledge to act. Members of The Key for School leaders can access hundreds of articles on the latest issues in education at thekeysupport.com. And please tell us what you think of the podcast. Rate, review and subscribe or email me at caroline.doherty at thekeysupport.com with your thoughts and suggestions.